God, we've come to the time in this service now when we open the book of life. And your word, that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, food for our spirit man. Right now, O oh Lord, we need an encounter with you. Right now, O oh Lord, we've come in from the rough storms of the world and we've come in from a, a week of carrying the cross amongst unbelievers and amongst all kinds of peoples with all kinds of backgrounds. I thank you, God, that you've given us that responsibility to be light and salt in the earth. And today as we gather around the table of God and as we gather around the Word, I pray, God, that you would enlighten our heart, that you would lift our spirits, and that you would strengthen our resolve to go the last mile and finish the work, O Lord, and finish the purpose. Touch us now, O Lord, with the Holy Spirit uh, anointing, something of which we're not worthy. But God, I ask you to empower us now to speak with boldness the engrafted Word of God. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. I pulled up yesterday morning at Burger King, or it wasn't morning, it was mid-morning or late morning, and I got a, a Whopper, and a lady looked at me, and she said, you know that you're supposed to be here, don't you? And I said, hmm, I haven't got that memo yet. She said, I've been praying. She said, I've been in a, a program to try to get clean. And she said, I go to Kent Maddox uh, facility up there. And she said, I'm just about uh, out. I'll be out probably in about a month. And said, I've been praying. And she said, you are a preacher, aren't you? And I said, yes, ma'am. That truck is black truck, is it? And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, why is that important? She said, well, the Lord told me that you would buy, be by here this morning and you'd be in a black truck. Wow. I said, yeah, that's worth a clap. Yeah. I said, well, what, what, does, what do you need me to, to tell you? She said, uh, where is your church? I said, it's just right straight up the street your own right now. I go to the top of the hill and you'll be there. And she said, well, that's where I'm supposed to go when I get clean. You know, people who pray prayers and they pray in certain mindset and they pray in a proper perspective, then God somehow lets them know they're on the right path. Somehow God lets them know that they're traveling in the proper direction and that if they'll just keep on going, then they'll get to where they need to be with God. I believe that, don't you? Now then, my prayer comes to this end because she has said that in a month she's going to be seeking the will of God and getting, getting stronger and growing in grace. She, she was saying, I, I need a place that can feed me and people that can show me how and can teach me how to live to be free, can show me what it's like to be free, can show me what it's like to be loosed from an, an addiction that has uh, so miserably ruined my life thus far. Many of you have heard me tell the story about a, a, a couple in Montgomery when I pastored down there, uh, Houston and Janet Kitts. Uh, Houston sang at nightclubs, and uh, he was at Cowboys Lounge over on Highway 80 near the Holiday Inn there. 
and he was singing uh, on, a, on a Saturday night, and he had another gig, and he was going to the other gig, and he got pulled over and arrested for DUI and taken to uh, uh, the jail. Of course, the jailer was a member of our church at that time at Vaughn Road Church of God, and the one phone call that Houston Kitts made was to me, and he said, I saw you recently on a television program, and he said, you said in that program that the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And he said, will you come down here and look me in the face and tell me that eye to eye? I said, yes, sir, I'll be there. Went and got in the car, drove down there. He was sitting on a table when I got there in an uh, interrogation room. I knelt with him on that old concrete floor and prayed with him. And uh, he prayed the sinner's prayer. And I said, now by faith, accept that Jesus has done for you at Calvary what you could not do for yourself. And you trusted him that what he did was enough for the sin that's in your life to be blotted out and taken out of the way. Amen. Amen. Wonderful experience with God. Uh, well, I got the jailer to let him go home, so we got out. And on Sunday morning, when I got through preaching, he was the first one that was in the altar that Sunday morning. And uh, when he got up out of the altar, uh, he was so happy, and those tears that he'd shed the night before were genuine tears. And he still had that same godly sorrow that work, works repentance. And it was a wonderful experience. Well, on Sunday night, Janet came with him. She wasn't able to come on Sunday morning. She wasn't in any condition to do anything, but she came on Sunday night. And Michelle, God did something glorious for her. She experienced that same transformation and that same experience of being changed into a, a person whose life the Lord had touched, sins forgiven, washed away, and I remember the testimony that Houston gave that night, that Sunday night, and I'll never forget. He said, what am I supposed to do about my contract? I've got a contract to sing at Cowboys Lounge next Saturday night. And I said, if you'll change the name of your songs, they'll take care of your contract. <laughs> so the next Saturday night, he got up and he started singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Yeah. And everybody thought it was a make fun of Christians night, you know, and a, a new gig to mock and be sarcastic and make mean statements about Christians. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. And while he was singing, Janet was walking around from table to table, Susie, handing out tracts how you can know Jesus, how your life can be changed by the power of God. Jesus died at Calvary for you. And so when they got him off the stage and ordered him out the door, there were about four couples in that lounge that night that got up and followed them out in the parking lot and asked them, said, where did you find the strength to make such a change, said, we heard a man named Brother Jerry preach about that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. Amen. 
Do you know why? The next Sunday, they brought those couples to church with them. Saved by the grace of God, I baptized them and took them in the church of God. And you know what? We fill that church up with people just like that. Just like that. I believe that God is looking for a church that will make an announcement. Here's the way. We know the way. We'll show you the way. We'll teach you the way. But they must not come and be disappointed. They must, when they come to God's house, they must find what they're looking for. And I believe what people are looking for is the Lord Jesus. Samuel is such a wonderful picture of a man who all of his life was foreordained for him. We all know that he preached it last Sunday, how that his mother went to the uh, altar at the church. Actually, it was the meeting house at, at Shiloh. It was, you see, Samuel overlaps seven years of the judges, the period of the judges overlaps into the period of, of 1 Samuel. There was a time, the Bible said, when people knew not God and every man did what was right in his own eyes. In fact, the Bible said that the culture, the whole populace just turned their back on God and walked away from God and no one was serving God. No one was believing God. There was, there was a system that was still there. There was a shape. There was a, a form. The Bible talks about it in Revelation, you know. It talks about having a form of godliness but denying the power. The Bible said in, in the last days, just before the Lord's return in our, our dispensation, that there would be times when people will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. When the Bible said they would turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But he said, but watch in all things. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. Keep on preaching. Don't let church just become a, a hall or an institution where God's power and God's spirit once dwell. In fact, he told churches in the book of Revelation, I have somewhat against you because thou hast a name that thou art alive, but you're actually dead. You've got a reputation that you're full of life and you've got a reputation. You put yourself out there to be a, a place that is alive and powerful and strong, but actually you're weak and anemic and no power. Well, that's what was going on in, in Israel back in ancient days when the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were, were written. The time of the judges was a, was a terrible time. And, and uh, guess who was the judge that was ruling in Israel at the time? That Samuel's mother came to church and asked, God, give me a man-child. It was Samson. All of you know Samson, right? Boy, did Israel have leadership problems in those days. Terrible leadership problems. Samson would go over and lay his head in the lap of delightful Delilah. And the devil all the time trying to figure a scheme where to defeat the people of Israel. Brother Samson wasn't just a judge in Israel. Brother, he was Superman. Boy, he could, he could kill 10,000 with a ox goad. He could just take 
foxes' tails and tie their tails together and set them on fire and they'd burn up all the wheat. You know the story. You know the story about the lion that stood in his way. Now, you know what? The Bible said that was a young lion. I wonder why the Bible said it's important for us to know that was a young lion. You know why the Bible said it was a young one? Because an old one would know better than to mess with Samson. It was a young lion, and that young lion stepped out in his way. He was going over to Timnath to visit Delilah, and on his way, he met this lion. And the lion jumped out in the way and roared at him. Well, thanks be to God, that didn't intimidate him. He just went over and took care of that lion and shook it and killed it. Threw it over to the side. And the, and the carcass was, of course, it rotted and decayed. And the Bible said that there was a beehive that somehow found location in that dead carcass. Yeah. That's another sermon for another time, but all of us know that Samson regained his power. And the Bible tells us that he regained his power when he said, Lord, remember how I used to be with you. Remember once more. He said, would you just one more time let me feel that unction of the Holy Spirit? Would you just one more time let me experience the life that comes from knowing God and experiencing God. And the Bible said, and he reached and he said to a little boy, show me where the pillars are that hold this place up. And when the little boy carried him to the pillars that were the center of the structure, he reached on those, those pillars and he said, Lord, one more time, give me my strength back. And the Bible said he pushed and pulled and pulled those pillars down. And Glenda, the Bible said he killed 300,000 at his death, so that he killed more at his death than he did his whole life. Wow. You see, when you pray a prayer of restitution, and you, you, you pray a prayer of reformation, and you pray, pray a prayer of renewal and revival and restructuring, and you meet God, and you want God to do something for you, uh, something you once had, but somehow lost that, lost that cutting edge. Now, I want to tell you, it happens. If you do any ministry for God, you'll come to know that there are times that you've got to fight to retain what you've got. That if you don't function and if you don't, don't work that hard at it, then you'll lose it. Use it or lose it, some say. And that's very true. Amen. You can't just sit somewhere and soak and, and sour. You can't just sit somewhere and be critical of somebody else that's doing something. You've got to keep your gift alive and keep what God purposed in your life. You've got to keep that alive and keep that, that edge sharp in ministry so that when you are called upon to be what you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do, you're not a disappointment. Amen. Samson was a judge, and he was the judge in Israel. He was the very last judge. Do you know who was the one that took his place and became a judge? Samuel. Wow. The, 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 the last of, of, of the book of Judges is about Samuel being the judge. Wow. So then Samuel 
has, is acquainted with all of this, and a judge is one who rode a circuit. And it went throughout the uh, nation of Israel solving the disputes of the people. It was the time of the judges, amen. And Samuel wrote that, that book, and he also wrote the book of Ruth, amen. And Samuel was prayed for and asked for of God for Hannah. And we, we know about Hannah, and Hannah was such a, such a, a blessing. She said, Lord, I need what Israel, I want, to, I want to be a part, I want to birth the Lord, the Lord in me. I, I want to birth, what, what, what happened to Mary was, was astounding, in that she was the, the, the mother of God, amen. That God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was conceived in her, never knew a man, and the miraculous, immaculate conception was, was so powerful that she became the, the birthplace for what Israel needs. And I want to tell you, what Israel needed then was a priest, a prophet, and a king, and a judge. We need that today. We need Jesus to be that for us. We need a prophet to explain the Father to us. We need a judge to convict the world of righteousness of unrighteousness and sin. We need a high priest to intercede for our sins with the Father. We need a king to lead us into righteousness and godliness. And you see, the Lord sends prophets to people. He sends priests and appoints priests to serve in the tabernacle. He appoints and calls judges to rule over the people. And ultimately, kings came to rule the nation. In other words, we're right here when Samuel is born. We're right in the middle of the transformation of coming out of one into another, out of the dispensation of the judges into the dispensation of the kings. And it's a, a, a troublesome time, and God is not pleased with what Israel wants. Israel says, give us a king. We want a king like the other nations have. We want to be like them. We don't want a prophet. We don't want a priest. We don't want a judge. We want a king. Just like every other nation's got, we want a king. You know, the Bible says a lot about kings and kingdoms. It says nothing about democracy. It says nothing about the United States. It says nothing about, about other forms of government. The only governing that the Bible knows is kings and kingdoms. And when Jesus came preaching, the Bible said, when Jesus came, he said, I am sent to preach the gospel of the kingdom. When John the Baptist came, he said, I'm come to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And the Bible said the Lord would not come back until this gospel of the kingdom be preached unto all nations. What is the, the, the gospel of the kingdom all about? Why do we need a king? Why do we need one to rule over us? Well, you know the preaching in Colossians that we've done just recently, uh, chapter 1, it says that he hath, hath translated us out of the power of darkness, delivered us from the power of darkness, and translated us into the kingdom of of his dear son. So this kingdoms of God and the kingdom of the, the spirit and worship and all of the tabernacle and the temple, all that is God, that's very, very common to us. But 
But the Bible does not know about any, any kind of ruling or government than kings and kingdoms. You know, we, we sing the song, is it that kings and kingdoms shall all pass away? But there's something about that name, that name of Jesus. Jesus is the rightful heir to David's throne. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the Davidic line is the line through which the Lord Jesus will satisfy the prophetic utterances that he is not just a priest, he's not like a prophet, he's also a king. Amen. He is a priest like Melchizedek. He is a prophet like Moses. He's a king like David. Praise the Lord. He is all of those things in one person. He is our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He is our prince of peace. Praise God. He is the wonder of all wonders. He is the, the blessed antidote for sin in the world. He is God's answer to the, to the sin problem in our lives. Praise God. And Jesus is the rightful heir of David's throne. In the book of Matthew, the Bible calls him the king, the king of kings, and talks about his, his kingdom being established here upon this earth. You know, when the devil carried Jesus up on the pinnacle in Matthew 4, 4, the Bible said that the, the devil showed him the kingdoms of the earth, the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, all of these kingdoms will become yours. You don't have to go to a cross. You don't have to shed your blood. You don't have to be beaten. You don't have to have the thorns. You don't have to have the nail prints. There doesn't have to be a crucifixion. We can just do that in a very simple transaction right here. Me and you on this pinnacle, and if you'll just bow down to me and worship me, then everything you see, all these kingdoms of the earth, all of these kingdoms of the world, they will be yours if you'll just bend your knee and bow to me. All about kingdoms, huh? And Jesus said, well, that's very simple. and That's not a hard thing to answer. It is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. That's the way that goes. I don't, I don't care about those kingdoms. There's coming a time when this earth is going to be made my footstool. There's coming a time when all power will be dissolved under the power of the Lord Jesus. There'll come a time when governments uh, will be dissolved. There'll be a, a time when all earthly strength and all earthly governments will all cease because all will be made subjected to the to government of the Lord Jesus. He will sit upon the throne, praise God. And the nations of the earth and the kingdoms of the earth will bow in his presence. The time will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why don't you give God some praise in this house? Hallelujah. Prophets sent to people. Priests were appointed to serve in the tabernacle. Judges ruled. Ultimately, kings ruled the nations. Yet in each case, Scripture demonstrates that human actors were never sufficient to, the, to meet the needs of the people. Judges failed to stem the tide of sin. Prophets were ignored and usually murdered. Priests became corrupt and self-serving. Kings turned tyrannical and despotic. 
And so Jewish society remained far from God who called them into a covenant. And like all men, Israel needed a Savior who would serve and save mankind in all of those roles that we've just talked about. Jesus came to satisfy the prophetic utterances of those who had told of a coming Savior, a coming King. In a few days, we will sing carols and we will preach messages and we'll read poems and sing songs and do all kinds of things in the name of celebrating Christmas. But the greatest realization that has to do with the Christmas story is unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and of his kingdom and his increase there shall be no end. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. Yes, the government will be upon his shoulders because he is the foundation of liberty. He is the foundation of healing. He is the foundation of, of all deliverance. He is, the, he is the answer that God has to all of man's dilemma. He is the desire of all nations. And he is the stem of Jesse. He's the plant of renown. He is the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's music's sweetest melody. He is history's brightest star. He is the Lord Jesus, the Savior of the world, the King of all the earth. The Bible said, know ye not that the King of all the earth shall do right. Brother, what government there is, it resides in the person of the Lord Jesus. We've actually been studying and reading about this experience of the birth of Samuel. It was a transition. It meant change. It meant that God was going to do something specific that would change the earth, change the world, change his people, that would deliver them from the, the, the strictness and the sternness and the coldness of the Levitical system and would deliver them to a, a grace dispensation where that those that preached light and salt and grace, that the Bible said God would build his kingdom upon believing that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the Savior. When Peter looked at the Lord Jesus, when Jesus said, to whom you, you want to believe, he said, it's going away. Jesus had just spoke some hard sayings. And the Bible said, and the people walked with him no more. They turned and left and went away. And Jesus turned to the disciples and he said, wilt thou also go away? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life are in the person of the Lord Jesus, the answer to all of our prayers. Prior to the Septuagint, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were all one word in the Jewish Bible, but later were divided for convenience sake. The earlier parts of the book were probably written by Samuel, but the rest were later finished by other prophets like Gad and Nathan. Do you remember who Nathan was? Nathan was the prophet that, boy, called David out. Now I want to tell you something. Kings are way up here and prophets are way down here. For a prophet to walk into a king's court 
and point his finger at the king and expose the sin in the life of a king. Do you realize how tough that was? Boy, that, that was worthy of the razor. You're right. Cut his throat. Wow, that a prophet would dare to stand against the king and tell a king you're a sinner and you've done wrong. Wow. God give us men in 2023 that will stand up and tell whoever about a nation's sin. Yes, there is an abomination that's going on in our country right now. Murdering babies is wrong. It's wrong. And I, I want to tell you, for, for us to pass laws that are against God's laws, we need to really think a long time. And brother, it takes a lot of courage to stand in a pulpit and preach about sins in a nation. That's a difficult thing to do. You'll get talked about. You'll get ridiculed. You'll get slandered. You'll get smashed, I'm telling you, for preaching the truth nowadays. There are people that are very angry when you preach the truth. It, it offends them and makes them very angry. But I want to tell you, I, I do not have any power to change the Word of God. I don't have, when God calls something an abomination, then I don't have a, a right or any kind of, of uh, way that I can change that. And I wouldn't change it if I, if I could because that's God's Word. I've got to preach God's Word. When I walk out of this pulpit, I've got to be able to say, thus saith the word of the Lord. Amen. And if I can't do that, then I might as well quit. Because if, if that part of the scripture is not true, then none of it is. Right. Amen. Amen. And we're coming to a time when those who preach the truth right out of the word of God, as it says it, they're going to pay a big cost. A big cost. You'll get talked about. You'll get called names. Fundamental. Bro, I thought that was a good name. I thought that was a good thing to say somebody fundamentally. He's strong fundamentally. And in a, a culture now where looseness is the order of the day and inclusion and what is it? Forbearance, tolerance. Well, listen, you're not doing people a favor by giving them a pass on something that God calls a sin. Is that too mean? I don't mean it to be mean because I don't want anybody to be lost because somebody wasn't strong enough to tell them that something is wrong. Amen. And I owe it. Paul said, I'm a debtor to all men. I'm a debtor to everybody, not just here, but everybody who ever hears me preach. I'm a debtor to them to tell them the truth and what God's Word said. Why, why are you so, so sound and so strong on what God says? You've noticed lately that I, I've put a whole lot of Scripture, more than usual. I've, I've ramped it up, putting Scripture up there. One Sunday, we just stood here and read Scripture. Amen. Because I believe that the Word of God will do its work. I believe the Word of God will not return void, but it will accomplish a purpose whereunto it's sent. I believe that the Word of God, the Bible tells us, is, is, is powerful. It's quick. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the joints and marrow of the bone. Amen. 
and to, and to stand and to call a nation to repentance. Amen. No matter what party, no matter what culture, no matter where that, what it comes from, if, it, if it's in this book and it calls it a sin in this book, then we need to embrace that and say, brothers and sisters, that's wrong. And that's a sin. Amen. And I believe God would help us if we would just get that, that mindset. Amen. Because there's no wavering. There's no, no, what people used to call wiggle room. There's no wiggle room for that with the Word of God. When David sinned, Nathan walked into his courts. Come on, Olivia, and help me quit. David had eyes, would you call them Roman eyes? Not Roman eyes, but roaming. And he looked over at a woman that was bathing. And lust and desire for something that was wrong that he could not have and he could not do. Not because he was a king, but because God said that kind of thing, you can't do that. That's adultery. That's, that's wrong. That's, that's against the word of God. But David thought, hey, I'm a king. I can get by with that if I want to. And the Bible said he sent for her and had her brought to him. And the Bible said he, he adulterated himself with her. Because the Bible said she was married. Now, don't you get quiet like that on me. She was married. And flirtatious David, he was the war hero. He was the, he was the man that had fought them Philistines over at uh, Isaiah Jeber. Whipped them and made them run. David's the one that was so successful. And he won so many battles and rode into Jerusalem and everybody uh, hail David, King David, mighty warrior. The Bible said all the women celebrated and rejoiced as David rode into Jerusalem. Now then we've got the army fighting out in the field and the king is sitting back at his throne you see, if you're where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, you won't get in near as many messes as you get in. Well, he thought that was all hid, had it all fixed. One day she sends to him and says, I'm going to have a baby. Oh, no. Now then, brother, we've got some issues now. David said, I've got to figure out a way. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to think this thing through. I tell you what, I'm going, to, I'm going to send a note down to Joab, the general that's in charge of my army, and I'm going to tell them to put, jo put Uriah the Hittite, her husband, in the heat of the battle where valiant men are dying, and I'm going to tell him to withdraw from Uriah and leave him there by himself to fight against the Philistines. And Joab, can you believe Uriah? He gave the note to Uriah to give to Joab. And that man was carrying his own death warrant to the front lines. And as Joab broke open the letter, 
and saw the contents. He turned it to one of his leaders and, and said, carry this out and let me know when it's done. And here comes the, the soldier with the message, he's dead. dead. David said, well, I've got this all covered up now. I said, hey, call the movers and tell them to bring her up here, move her stuff up here in the king's palace. Get all of her credit cards changed to Mrs. David now. And she's going to become my wife now. And I'm just going to take her for mine. Said, y'all get her, get her moved in as soon as possible. But in the door walks this little skinny, scrawny, with a crooked finger man named Nathan. And he walks into the courtroom of David and he says, David said, there's a man in your country and said he's got many, many flocks and many, many herds. And he said a stranger came by a day or two ago and David had his servants to go out and take a little lamb away from a man that only had one. And he loved that little lamb and drank out of the same cup as the lamb did. And he cherished that lamb. But he said the servants took it out of the man's arms and went and killed that lamb and prepared dinner for the stranger that had stopped at the house. David jumped up off his throne and he said, the man that did this must surely die. And Nathan said, thou art the man. Woo. You know the rest of the story, don't you? The child was born, and God told David, he said, the child will not live. David got out in the courtroom and fell on his face and lay on his face, put on the sackcloth, and he writhed and wrestled there on the sand and the ground, and finally, after seven days, when the servants came out, they were murmuring among. He got up and he went filled and washed himself, put on clean clothes, changed his countenance. And the Bible said, why did you do that, David? He said, I knew when you came out here that the child is dead. And I know that I can't bring that child back to me, but I can go to where that child is. Isn't that good? How do you know, David? Because I have a God that even when I have done such terrible things, when I have done things that hurt so many people, that I know that God will hear me when I pray and that God will answer my prayer. And that's how I know I can go to where that child is. Wow. Brother, it took a lot of grit for that prophet Nathan to walk in there and tell a king, king, you're wrong. King, you've sinned. And God has a penalty for that. I want to tell you, I love that flag right there. And I love all that it stands for. All that it stands for. But America does some things that 
A strong voice needs to stand and say, you're going the wrong way, America. You need to turn away. You need to turn around. You need to go a different direction. Go a different direction. And I believe that with all my heart. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Brother, the numbers are sliding right now in this country. The people that hold Christian values are remaining silent. People that attend church are doing less and less attending church. All the numbers are showing that this nation is moving away from God. That this nation, this culture is turning their backs on God. They don't want to hear it. And have even become militant against what the people that do preach the Word of God and embrace Christian moral values. And from here until rapture day, it's going to be tough to live that life. Amen? Like God wants you to, to stand up for what you really believe. A guy was talking the other day about religious people, found out I was in, in a group, was talking. He said, you can't pay any attention to Christians nowadays. They don't, none of them believe that, you know what. And boy, then he really got really good. He said, especially them Pentecostals. Can't pay any attention to a thing they say, he said. Somebody eased over to him and said, Brother Jerry is a Pentecostal. <laughs> he slipped up beside me and said, Oh, hey, you know I was just kidding, don't you? You know I was just kidding. I was just kidding, preacher. I wouldn't say nothing like that. You know I was just kidding. I get talking sometimes, but I don't really. No, you can't pay no attention to me. But way down deep, <clears throat> I'll take the way with the Lord's despised few. I've started for heaven and I'm going through. Are you going through? Amen. Praise God. I'm on my way. I'm going. Stand with me, please. Well, Brother Samuel gets better and better, I promise. Further we go, you're going to find out it was tough for Hannah to pray and, and to, to make that vow she made brother she made a vow and she said to god said i will give him back to you if you'll give me a man child brother she has been laughed at and provoked by panina had all of the things going on that were so terrible in her life but the bible said that when joab started taping her mouth and said you're drunk you've been drinking too much you quit that wine quit bringing that wine around here Quit drinking like that, woman. She said, I have not drank any wine. She said, well, why all this weeping? Even her husband came in. The one I told y'all was a good guy. He's a good guy, but he didn't like his wife down there moaning and sor sorrowing and crying. Said, why are you out here weeping in the house of God like this? And why are you out here so, so sad and you're going on with all this stuff? She said, I want God to answer my prayer, and I'm praying, and I'm very serious. He said, well, get up out of that altar. Let's go home. And the Bible said she got up and left the house of God. Next time she came, you know, well, I wouldn't have been back, but Gerald, next day she came. Next day she came, started praying again, and 
this time, Eli realized she's serious about this, and I'm wrong. And he backed down, and he said, The Lord grant thee the petition thou hast asked of the Lord. And the Bible said, find that verse, if you will, it says, And she was sad no more. Wasn't sad anymore. Why was she not sad anymore? Because she knew that the priest and the prophet had just told her. The one that speaks for God in Israel had just told her, the Lord grant thee. And brother, when she heard that word, all that sadness went out the window. And the Bible said, she was sad no more. What happened was she got to that aha moment. She got to that time where she had confidence that the prayer I am praying, God is hearing. That the prayer, the promise that God has made and the covenant God has with me and I have with him, praise God, that causes me to get that old uh, sad look off of my face. Come on, somebody. I hope somebody leaves here today that had a sad look when you came in, but you got a smile when you go out. You can have a smile when you go out if you believe that God's heard your prayer and that God's going to answer your prayer because he's a God of covenant with you. Praise God. I love him, don't you? Turn toward that flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. For the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land and the home of the All of you veterans that are sitting around in this congregation, please know that we thank you so very much for your service to this country. God bless you, and we want you to know that we're so thankful to God that people like you have been on the front lines of freedom, ensuring for us a free nation to live in. And I thank God for that, and long live America, and, and may America long be the home of the brave and the free. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house today, and thank you for this Veterans Day service. And I ask you to touch our people, Lord, as they celebrate this weekend and travel 
I just ask you to keep them safe from harm and danger. We bless you and praise you and magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen. And everybody said amen. 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 Shake somebody's hand and say, I'm glad you're here today.